I am the best. Yes, yeah, that's a bit too close. I, I, I am the best. I am the best. I am the best. Fantastic, wonderful. I mean, Simply you're not the picture. best. No. Better than all the rest. <laughs> Better than everyone. Empire podcast this week. Paul Thomas Anderson, PTA himself, stops by to talk about his new movie, Phantom Thread, about a haunted sewing machine. Ooh, scary. Plus, all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast. It may be coming to you on Groundhog Day, February 2nd, but won't be going out of its way to mark the occasion. On the Empire podcast this week, Paul Thomas Anderson, PTA himself, stops by to talk about his new movie, Phantom Thread, about a haunted sewing machine. Ooh, scary. Plus, all the usual news and nonsense <laughs> on the movie podcast that may be coming to you on Groundhog Day, February 2nd, but won't be going out of its way to mark the occasion. On the, no, no okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Hello, Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire podcast. I'm back, back, back after missing last week. And if you follow the rules of the Empire Podcast Drinking Game, prepare to get mega pissed because I was taking my wife Oy. to see Hamilton. Oy. I mean, that should be a drinking game. Yeah. The only way this could get any more drinking game is if I'd gone with Thanos and a bunch of space floozies. That would, that, that would pretty much set it off. Anyway, you'd be delighted though. I enjoyed Hamilton a great deal. Uh, but that's all I'm going to say about it. That's all I'm going to say. You don't have to worry. You will not be buried this week under a load of Hamilton references. Uh, so anyway, joining me this week in the room where it happens are two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, first off is my right-hand man, the editor-in-chief of Empire Online. Pardon me, are you James Dyer, sir? Yes. He doesn't, he doesn't know Helen. Who's me and you asking? got a little club. Who's we got asking? a little club. Oh, oh yeah. sure, God, sir. This is going to be uh, unbearable, isn't it? <laughs> Last but not least is our geek queen, a lady who paused like she's running out of time. <laughs> look around, look around, Helen O'Hara, at how lucky we are to be alive right now. That's right. <laughs> and when I meet Thomas Jefferson, I'm going to compel him to include women in the sequel. That'll never work. work. There are not words <laughs> for how much I hate both of you right now. Yeah, I think probably 60, 70% of the listenership can probably sympathise. <laughs> Get on board. I won't. I shan't. I can't. I mean, you could. I mean, I could, but I'm not yeah. going to. You, you love Les Mis. Hamilton is is literally expressly inspired by Les Mis. I, I also love The West Wing, which it's also which is also inspired yeah, by. I know. You're just a and big... he's a big fan of Patrick Rothfuss. I mean, really, in many ways, I should enjoy this a lot. But yeah. I'm, it's got to the point now where I just I can never ever watch it. Why ever? Why? Oh, this is like when my little sister decided she liked Harry Potter before my little brother. So my little uh, brother can now never yeah. l- admit to liking anything Harry Potter related. Yeah, and that's essentially. However. However, I have watched uh-huh. now uh-huh. three episodes of Derry Girls. Hey! Oh, wow. So, okay. But I'm going to need one of you to come over and live translate <laughs> the foreign audio to me. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So that I can understand what they're saying. No, it's very, Catch very good. Catch yourself on. Exactly. To, to be, was it? So it is. Anyway, uh, no, it's really good. It's really funny. I loved it. I think it's very, very, very good. Does it remind you of life as a schoolgirl? <laughs> yes, in Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah, very much so. In the mm. early 1990s. Yeah. I forgot, I actually brought cake in. Little cakes, anyway. Um, we, we, I was just doing a talk at a school. And you stole their cake. They gave me Helen, cake. We need to so talk. I'd like to thank the DLD College uh, year, two-year media BTEC students. Thank you for cake. Chris and I can have none of the cake. 
Why not? We made a lunch error. Well, you can keep it for later. It's all wrapped up. Well, what's a cake? What's a cake? It's Jaffa cake bars. Okay, because those good. were yeah, those right. seemed portable. We uh, right. we ordered a what was it? Thank a, a donut. Thank you, Helen. A donut ice cream sandwich was it? Yeah. So today uh, we're recording it. You're hearing it on Groundhog Day. You're hearing it on Groundhog Day. You're hearing it on Groundhog Day. Thank you, Chris. But it is uh, recorded on February 1st, which is our good friend... (laughs) Sorry. Which is our good friend and colleague uh, Nick Dissemlian's birthday. It's his birthday today. So we went out for lunch today at uh, one of Camden's finest and most upmarket fried chicken establishments. (laughs) And uh, they had... Uh, we had a dessert because it was Nick's birthday. Oh, sure. Right? So we went for dessert. An ice cream donut sandwich. Mm-hmm. which should be just simply called the deep regret. Because the minute this thing arrived, I did want George Lucas to appear with his little stamp that says deep regret because mm-hmm. it was just, it wasn't good. It was just a big, deep fried, massive donut and in between just, it, well, exactly what it says in the tin, a big slab of ice cream. And, and a bit of cream, cream as well. Yeah, mm. and I, I, and you know me, I've got a sweet tooth, but yeah. many of them in fact. It was, it was sickly on a whole other level. No, it didn't work. Speaking of sweets, um, can I just do a personal shout out for a minute? Um, I have a nephew now who's currently going by Jellybean, Jellybean O'Hara. We haven't got a, f- a name yet, um, but he was born earlier this week. So oh, welcome well to Jellybean. Congratulations, Congratulations to yes. Jellybean O'Hara. Well, I mean, yeah. I think he'll probably settle on a different name. I, I think they should just christen him Jellybean personally. But with, with the youths, I think that's, that's I think a, it would go over well, yeah. legitimate handle. Maybe, a- maybe Apple James. Apple Paltrow, you know, or Apple Martin. James and I could name him now. Magic. Yeah. Magic O'Hara. Phil, after the groundhog. Well, there has actually been a movement to call him Miguel because, of course, one of the alt-universe Spider-Mans is Miguel O'Hara. Um, uh, yes. But for some reason, Spider-Man my sister-in-law... Yeah, my sister-in-law has, for some reason, thought that was, uh, quote-unquote, stupid and, quote-unquote, Colin, you're not allowed to do that. So <laughs> that sounds we'll see how that goes. How many, um, how many famous O'Haras are there? They're all mostly of the, of the lady persuasion, yeah, aren't they? Well, there's Scarlet and yeah, Maureen. that's a lady. And Maureen David. Lady. David, who the hell is David? He's that character actor. Of course, David O'Hara, the yep. famous character actor. Yep. Uh, there's there's Catherine O'Hara. Catherine, yeah, my cousin. She's great. <laughs> uh, so I'm struggling to come up with... Um, hang on, how about... Uh, Jaffa a, Cakes Cake Bar. There's a, <laughs> thanks, Chris. Are you just saying things you see now? No. Um, there's a writer called Frank O'Hara as well. He's very good. And another one called John O'Hara. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know who they am. How about... Um, just off the top of my head... Skylar Sisters? Skylar Sisters O'Hara. That's good. It'd be an unusual name for a boy, but yeah. we could try and make it Four. work. Four. Heimdall. Heimdall uh, O'Hara. Odin. Heimdall O'Hara is Heimdall an amazing... Heimdall O'Hara is actually a great option. Agamemnon. Colm, if you're listening, yes. we have a clear winner I can just put her down. Hello, I'm delighted to meet you. My name's Heimdall. Heimdall <laughs> O'Hara. How the devil are you? I mean, he's going to be growing up in Birmingham, so I'm not sure that's going to be his accent. At the moment, I feel like the little curly-haired English boy in Derry Girls. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Inside gag for you there. That you basically are, though. Thanks, Helen. Since we're clearly in no rush to get on with the actual podcast, (laughs) can I I finish my story of being the terrorist of Holland Station? Oh, yes. Okay. I don't think that this week's question is going to detain us that much longer. No. Okay. Okay. So I was telling this to Chris on the way here. So I shut down Holland Station in 2015. (laughs) Uh, and this is how it happened. I had so never heard this story. Never, I don't know how I never mentioned this to you before. So uh, I got a call from, from security at Hoban Station, and apparently at one point a package had been found in the middle of the concourse of the station. Right. Know, a suspe- suspect package. So they had called the police, done their things in these two. The police had come, they'd looked at the package, and it was just a nondescript brown box with just a name on the front, and it just said, James Dyer, Empire. 
<laughs> and so the police and security, they Googled me, looked yeah. me up, and someone called me at the office and they said, we need you to come down to, to Hoban Station. There's a suspect package, got your name on it. Blah, blah, blah. So I, I wandered down and they, I said they had to clear the area out because I uh-huh. know what it is. Uh, and police had established it wasn't a threat, presumably with some kind of dog or scanning device or something. Sure. Um, and they opened it up. <laughs> Sure the, sure, the wee robot does all the work. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. <laughs> See, hot, hot reference. Um, the, and they'd open it up, and inside, Helen, inside the suspect yeah. package was a giant Lego Stormtrooper alarm clock, <laughs> which was apparently meant for me. Wow. Uh, and as best the police could piece it together, the postman slash courier person must have dropped it coming out of the station on his way to deliver it to the office. Wow. So there you go. And I just sat there. Yeah. To be clear, out of the three people in this room right now, the one known terrorist <laughs> is the non-Northern Irish person. Yeah, we just me. like that on the record. Homegrown yeah. terrorism. That's right. Dude. I'm probably on a watch yeah. list somewhere because of it. Probably. It's, uh, yeah. it's a sort or, of... Or just time. generally on yeah. the watch list. Yeah. Sadly now, due to a government decision, the voice of James Dyer will be replaced <laughs> by an actor's voice for the rest of this podcast. Well, yes, of course. Uh, when I shut down the, the concourse of the Holborn Station, I was, uh, my head was away with it a little bit there. This is a deep dive back in the 90s. <laughs> this is, this is, Millennials may not be aware, but there was a law in place that um, members of certain organisations, shall we say, were not allowed to use their real voices on TV. They weren't allowed to be interviewed on TV. So the BBC would interview them and then dub them with an actor's voice. I have no recollection of with this. Hello- oh my God. Like it was basically... Every- That's because no Northern Irish news is essentially broadcast in the rest of the UK. But for us, every single night on TV, yeah. there'd be a shadowy figure with a clearly dubbed voice yeah. speaking to, you know... Or it would be a, a, a quite a famous person speaking to camera but with a higher... There's a, there's a joke in um, The Day Today where Steve Coogan's playing a, a Northern Irish political spokesperson <laughs> and he has to take a, a, a burst from a helium balloon <laughs> before he speaks. <laughs> he goes, Sinn Féin is a legitimate political party. <laughs> Anyway, Hey-o. anyway. There we what go. was the question again? I haven't asked it yet. Okay, okay. Let's do So it. here we go. It's from Andy Lawson and he asks, uh, I've been pondering for a while now, this is via email, what your home cinema setups are like when you have an evening at home and you're settling down to watch your well-used copy of Mac and Me. <laughs> what are you watching it on? Do you have the big F off 4K flat screen with surround sound or a projector or a 12-inch CRT? It needs a regular thump in the side to keep the dreaded pink screen at bay. I like to imagine you take some pride (laughs) in your own personal cinemas. With much love, Andy Lawson. Oh, thanks, Andy. Well, touching. Well, James can can actually answer for me better than I can because he basically donated (laughs) his whole TV to me when mine broke down. This is how much pride we take in our personal cinema setups. We... Helen has, a, Helen has a 55-inch LED uh, 3D Samsung television with a Denon amplifier and some Onkyo speakers and subwoofer. Is it 3D? Denon. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. I just lost the glasses, so I didn't oh, give you okay, those. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got loads of pairs of 3D glasses because I had a 47-inch 3D TV and it went the, the way of the dodo. Mm. But I kept the glasses. I never used the glasses. No, no one ever does. Okay, so do you, do you enjoy your setup? I, I very much do, yeah. I've got it all working and everything, and I <laughs> it, love it. It, it, it turns on. It turns on. It you turned off motion blur. My, my, yes, definitely. <laughs> Good luck. I, I once went to a friend's house, actually, and she was watching in the wrong ratio. 
That's upsetting. It was so upsetting. And I was like, what is wrong with your TV? And she couldn't see that there was anything wrong. And even when I fixed it for her, which I obviously had to do before we could go on about our business, she didn't see that it was different. I know. People like that, I just, they're worse than well, obviously something I, very bad. I had to renounce her immediately and yeah. I haven't seen her since. Yeah. Quite right. Quite right. <laughs> do you have a sound set up? Yeah, just a, I think it's 5.1 surround sound. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, uh, you got the, the speakers with the, the whatchamacallit. Mm-hmm. The surround down speakers. Yes. So you're like you know, Dobbly. Dobbly. Yeah, Dobbly speakers. Yeah. yeah. Dobbly. <laughs> Love the Dobbly. <laughs> Jimbo. Yeah. I've been to your, I've been to both your houses actually. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when you least expected. <laughs> Was I there at the time? <laughs> <laughs> you were, although you were unaware of my presence. Ah, um, okay. uh, you've got a pretty kick-ass system. Yeah, I, 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 I got quite into all this stuff. I've got a, um, a 65-inch uh, 4K HDR TV, which I love. It's an Ambilight Philips one. Mm. <laughs> I, li- I like the pretty lights around the edges. The pretty lights are pretty, I like yes. the pretty lights. I have a Dolby Atmos sound system. Oh, my goodness. Which is, which is pretty, I think. I've got little uh, Cambridge Audio. They do really powerful, very small speakers. This does sound like um, we're fishing for freebies. <laughs> no, no, I've already got them. I don't need them. And I had to pay for them. They didn't even give them to me. Uh, Cambridge Audio. Yes. <laughs> The podcast is sponsored. No, I got some little Cambridge Audio speakers and some some ceiling speakers as well for the Atmos and an amplifier. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. It's great. Awesome. I love it. It's very loud. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you watch Man versus Food and that you never go back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we should say at this point, James is the tech nerd of all of us. Like he's always yes. has the most integrated, you know, throughout the house multi-channel. You can say nerd. Up. Nerd is fine. A nerd. I'm, I'm I mean, a massive nerd. Yeah. I'm comfortable with the term nerd. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much pride I take in my personal <laughs> cinema. To be honest, I'm sorry to uh, disabuse you of that notion, Andy Lawson. I wish I would have, off the top of my head, I'm not fishing for freebies, but like a 65-inch <laughs> Samsung TV. <laughs> of, uh, you, you know where to find me. Um, no, it'd be, um, I have a 40-inch TV that I've had. Oh, bless. I know. Uh, that I've had for approximately seven years. Seven or eight years, and it's still going strong. Uh, and I temporarily replaced it when I was uh, given a hand-me-down of this 47-inch 3D TV, and then that went on the fritz. And I'd given my 40-inch TV to Phil Dissemblian, and I went uh, round the panic and went, Phil, can I have my TV back? And uh, <laughs> and he, he was not using it. He'd stored it in the cupboard. Oh, that was nice. Well great. done, Phil. Thanks for telling me. Ingrate. And then he had lost my remote control. Oh my goodness, this is and just then, turning into a grudge list. Yeah. And then he found the remote control. This is a brilliant story. But he'd broken it. <laughs> the great big rage in Egypt. Anyway, I wish him all the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he's gone. That's where we are. Um, I used to have a 5.1 surround sound thingy. Uh, and then we moved, we moved flats. And so I downgraded to a sound bar. Mm. Which They're I find... They're quite good. They're quite good, yeah. yeah. Depending if you get a good one, you can get actually halfway decent Atmos soundbars as well. Really? So if you can't be asked to stop putting speakers in your ceiling, and that's entirely understandable, yeah. uh, you can get ones with up-firing speakers on the top, so you've got yeah. uh, Atmos soundbars. Mm. I must admit, I am in the market, uh, well, will be in the market at one point uh, once I can afford it for a new TV. Mm. But... Nothing, nothing it's, it's, it's getting the material. Like Netflix, you can upgrade Netflix to, to UHD so you can get that in 4K. That looks lovely. Mm. It's a nice HDR stuff in there. Is 4K worth it? Uh, weirdly, the 4K over 1080p I think is less noticeable than the HDR over SDR. So HDR is high dynamic range sort of contrast. And well, that, that makes for... That makes for... And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. That makes for playing of the video games very fun. 
to the wow. lost and lost and <laughs> Creelin. Retreat, right. retreat. So there you go, Andy. Uh, if you want to go around James's anytime, I think you're free most Thursday nights. Yeah, I have no life. Yeah, uh, for some. What's your favourite game? What are you What are you playing at the moment? What am I playing? I'm playing uh, Monster Hunter World. Okay. Uh, which is so uh, there are, there are two that. Monster Hunter games, uh, Monster Hunting games out at the moment. The Shadow of the Colossus, which is a beautiful, mm, beautiful game, game yeah. with epic. And it's like, oh, well, is this a new one? Uh, is the yes? Yeah, so they've redone it in okay. sort of like 4K for uh, PS4. Uh, but the, that's that one, and I remember seeing a thing on the internet. I said, "Oh, it's beautiful. The, the the pain and the the agony and the sorrow of having to destroy these magnificent beasts." And then you can point to that with uh, Monster Hunter, and it's like, "Kill five more of these, and you can make yourself a hat." <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Sure. Good. <laughs> Everyone All likes right. hats. Okay. All right. So there you go. That is our uh, our our systems. And if you want to go around James's, uh, but you do have a pantless Thursdays, naked yeah. Thursdays. Naked Thursdays. We enforce Naked Thursdays. Okay. All right. So if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, and quite frankly, why wouldn't you? You can you can make like Andy Lawson and get in touch with us via email, where we're podcast at empireonline.com. Uh, you can tweet us where we're at Empire Magazine. Please use the hashtag Empire Podcast, and you can Facebook us as well at Empire Magazine. Uh, before we get into the week's movie news, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, there are a couple of tickets left, not many, but a couple of tickets left for our live show, episode 300, in uh, two weeks' time. Hey. Two weeks' time at King's Place in London on February 14th. Yes, we know that's Valentine's Day. Come and spend it with us. It'll be a lot of fun. And uh, got some pretty decent guests in the bag that I cannot reveal. Ooh. Because guests, you know what guests are like, they wriggle around and they the chew bag, the way yeah. out of the bag. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to reveal anyone only for them to drop out. But believe me, if this holds fast, it'll be worth your while. So tickets are available at www.kingsplace.co.uk right now. And uh, yes, the eagle-eyed amongst you may have noticed that our Blade Runner 2049 supporter special isn't up yet. That's because I've been busy this week with magazine uh, stuff. I'm doing a pretty big feature at the moment. I'm not making excuses, except I am. And so my focus has been entirely on that. I will get to editing the Blade Runner 2049 spoiler special this weekend. So it'll be up, what day is it? Yeah, Monday. Monday the 5th? Sure. Let's say 5th of February. 5th of February. All right. News. Movie news. What the hell is happening? Some stuff is happening, isn't it? Can can I just talk about the one that James and I are going to be most excited about, first yeah. of all? Go on. Um, and you as well, because it's it's everybody's it's favourite people. It is. It's Chris's favourite, Sam Raimi, has signed on to direct James's favourite, Patrick Rothfuss's book, The King Killer Chronicles. And the musical consultant is my favourite, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> this is okay, a three-way what's squee. What's happening? It is a three-way squee. Okay. Oh, so uh, this is a... Plan for the King Killer Chronicles, the first of which is the Name of the Wind. Yes, and we've already we've also had the Wise Man's Fear, and we haven't had any. Uh, it's uh, the Doors of Stone, I think, is the third one, and okay. that is kind of AWOL at the moment. Okay. But they're great. We they love are. them. We do, um, and they are being turned into the plan is both movies and a TV series. Now that worked out super well for the Dark Tower, so mm-hmm. fingers crossed. But um, Lindsay Beer is writing the script now. She hasn't had a lot of work actually produced yet but she's writing like most of the big stuff coming up so like the the reboot of Dungeons and Dragons Godzilla versus Kong Chaos Walking which is super exciting so she's clearly like people clearly rate her script so fingers crossed for that and yeah nice Sam Raimi directing as well so this is this is kind of potentially uh, well, pretty cool I love Sam Raimi uh, but he has made a film since All is Great and Powerful and I he's flirted with loads of stuff Mm-hmm. hasn't committed to anything 
and I just want Sam Raimi in my life again. You know, evil Ashford's Evil Dead aside. And I wanted to be good. And the King Killer Chronicle, that title does not inspire confidence. Well, think of it as the name of the wind then, which is a bit more interesting. And it's 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 just uh it's not your average fantasy. It's not your, you know, guy goes on a quest. What's it about, Helen? It's about paying Life, school fees. It's live gigs and student loans. It's live gigs and student loans is basically what it is. Yeah, uh, and and it's good because the characters are great and the the detail and the texture of the world is great. And uh, and that's what we're kind of excited about, I think. But it's kind of told in the present. So you've got Kvothe basically telling his life story mm. in a bar and then you've got the past account of his life. And not basically. dissimilar to sort of like Cheers. I mean, sure. Yeah, I guess like, so. N- like Norm's life story. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so there's a framing device which happens in a bar and he's telling his story to a like a scribe-type person, which is supposed to take three nights, therefore three books. Except, like, he's barely graduated and it's the end of book two, yeah, so we know, don't know that's what's problem, happening. And there's been no kings killed so no, far. none. So it's a bit confusing. But Still, very good, very exciting, and the music plays a, is a very significant part of it, so hence old uh, Lin-Manuel's involvement. Indeed, and he's been mm. on it for ages. And actually, this um, if you are a Hamilton fan, which obviously James is not, but... Um, the feel of the books uh, was a big inspiration for the song Story of Tonight, um, which is a, a great, great song on the Hamilton soundtrack. So there you go. Oh. Mm-hmm. How exciting. Wither next. It is exciting. Uh, I need more Sam Raimi. Come on, Sam. Okay. Do what you do. Do what you do. Uh, so what's happening? What else? What else? Um, <laughs> Christ, the, what's happening? <laughs> exactly. Um, the, the, the news this week that Jim Caviezel is in talks to return as Jesus, <laughs> which I just, I adore. This could be the best comeback since... Um... No, there's never been a resurrection like this. Um, I assume, um, I mean, are they going to call this the resurrection of the Christ? Like, how do they do it this? It seems likely, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So this is uh, a, a, sequel, a sequel to The Passion of the Christ from 2004. Jim Caviezel has said he's ready to return to play Jesus. And um, he says, there are things that I cannot say that will shock the audience. Um, it's great. Stay tuned. I mean, not being funny, it's not going to... Sp- I've read the book. <laughs> the film he's going to do is going to be the biggest film in history. It's that good. I mean, maybe. Really? Gross. Really? We're putting this up against Infinity War. This is what we're doing now. <laughs> it's, wow, you've decided is, that... Is <laughs> Thanos in the New Testament? I don't remember that. You've decided that Infinity War is the greatest film of all time. Biggest. Biggest. biggest, biggest, and biggest. greatest, and greatest, and greatest, possibly and greatest, but definitely biggest. Okay, sorry, I must have, I must have just misheard you as yeah. saying greatest. <laughs> so weird. Did you say greatest as well? Then? I, I wouldn't have said greatest. That, that doesn't what? sound like something we'd say. What's that about? I don't know. Weird. So this is interesting, not least because Jim Pop goes Cafizel, as uh, I would nickname it <laughs> if he was ever here. He's now, well, presumably fourteen years older than he was when he made the yeah. Passion yeah. of the Christ. Death, death and scourging does take it out of you. True. <laughs> true. Yeah, but you would think resurrection put it back in you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But um, I'm intrigued. I'm I'm intrigued. But I'd like to see a, a prequel rather than exploring something <laughs> like this. Fantastic Christ's and where to find them would be a great. <laughs> oh, good lord! It'd be a great film. I might cut that bit out. Um, Moving on, we'll move on. So they've made another Cloverfield film when we weren't looking. They always do it when we're not looking. That's true. They do tend to do that. So Cloverfield four is not only happening, it's happened. They've filmed it, they've finished, they've shot it, and it takes place in World War Two. And this, when we're still waiting for Cloverfield 3 to A, arrive, and B, tell us when it's going to arrive and where. Because mm-hmm. the date's moved around a lot, and then is it on Netflix, or is it in the cinema, and we're not sure. 
Um, so this is the film that was number three is the film the God that was particle one. the God Particle. Yeah. It was advertised as the God Particle, and yeah. then they were like, "Psych, it's actually a Cloverfield movie." Yeah. And this, yeah. that's the space station set one. And this is uh, a World War II set one, uh, which filmed under the codename uh, Overlord. So, you know, thematic, thematically Does consistent. that mean it's set around D-Day? Well, this is what I'm wondering. So because we'll that was Project Overlord, people, yeah, for was. those of you Thank not you. up on... I mean, because that would have made the, the the assault in Omaha Beach much easier. Because, of course, the other beaches were, were famously slightly easier yes, targets. Yes, Omaha was the problematic one, presumably problematic because one. of mm-hmm. the monster. Which is why Eisenhower like took that bullet. He was like, no, the, the Americans need to do this. And so uh, three, God, God Particle, or what some people think maybe called Cloverfield Station, uh, is going to Netflix. Mm. Looks like that's about to be signed, been 100% confirmed? signed and sealed. Not, not yet. Not but we think time, that's what's not a time for recording. Yeah. But uh, I've read lots of articles the last couple of days. Yeah. That it seems basically, say it's a fait accompli and it, and it will happen, which mm. is really interesting because mm. that seems to me a bit of. Yeah, I honestly, for, it's the future. We've talked about this this before. It's like it's interesting that Netflix are being very aggressive in that way, in the same way that Annihilation's going to Netflix. I'm not so sure that Netflix being aggressive. Um, I think that's more Paramount, Paramount being, being passive. Yeah, well, perhaps that's and true too. It, I can understand to an extent with Annihilation why maybe they would want to offset the risk and give international rights to Annihilation uh, to Netflix for Annihilation. Alex Garland doesn't seem that happy about it. No, he wasn't from his comments. But I don't know. The Cloverfield franchise seems like one of the franchises that yeah that did work a on given. the big screen. Yeah. yeah, we're two films in. Both have been pretty well received. Mm-hmm. Both fairly low budget. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get this. I'll be honest with you. I do not understand this at all. But uh, I'm excited for the extended Cloverfield franchise. That's for sure. So let's talk uh, some trailers. Uh, there were a, I think a couple this week. Certainly, there was one that was uh, fairly interesting. We're recording this before the Super Bowl at the weekend. So the Super Bowl is apparently when we're going to see our first look at Solo, a Star Wars story. So it's finally going to happen. We're going to see Alden Ehrenreich doing his best Harrison Ford impression. We're going to see what it looks like, kind of what it's about. We're going to see Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. We're going to see Chewbacca as Chewbacca. <laughs> and is that how that works? That's exactly okay, how it works, okay. Helen. Um, but his voice is dubbed by an actor. It's a bit I like see, back right. in Northern Ireland back in the day. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. There was a little bit of me wishing, and this is, I realise, cutting our noses off the spider face, that it would become the first major, major, major movie to hit cinemas without a trailer or a poster or anything. So you go in not knowing a single thing about it. And I realised that would be daft, given what we do. <laughs> but, you know, part of me would have admired the chutzpah involved behind a, a major decision like that. I guess. I think, uh, yeah, it's good to hear that we're finally going to see something of it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I was watching Hail Caesar again the other night just because, you know, it was a day ending and why. Uh, and it was brilliant. And he's so good in it and so charming. And therefore, I'm re-excited about yeah, he's, it. He's very good, isn't he, Alden Ehrenreich? He is good. Would it were so simple, though, Helen? Would it were. Would it were Tripping, so simple. Trippingly, would, dear boy. Trippingly. Would it were so simple. Uh, so that is going to be happening. And other traders coming are Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. There might be some... Uh, more Black Panther coming your way, maybe more Infinity War, who knows. Uh, but two trailers this week that caught my eye. There was one for Duncan Jones's Mute, which is mm. coming to Netflix very, very soon, February 23rd, I believe. And this was an interesting trailer. I still don't get an idea of what it's about. I know what it's about because there's an article about it in Empire Magazine this month. But sure. Yeah, the, the trailer, trailer doesn't give you an, a lot to go on, does it? No. A bit of a revenge 
protection-y flick maybe, but beyond yeah. that, not very much. Yeah. A lot of neon. A lot of neon. Beautiful mm-hmm. neon. Looked really go- gorgeous. And Paul Rudd looking like he cuts loose as the movie's bad guy. Very much so. So, yeah, I'm intrigued. And speaking mm-hmm. of Paul Rudd trailers, there was also the first, and this is the teaser trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp, which hit this week, along with a very fun poster, which had just two little insignificant specks on a white background. We were discussing this over lunch, and whether or not Ant-Man and the Wasp takes place pre or post the events of Infinity War. Because if it takes place post, that's kind of interesting, because, you know, he's alive. Yeah. Uh, and San Francisco, at least, is largely untouched by Thanos. So Super good, yeah. Um, but then he references Civil War in it, so we're wondering, will it actually be set? I, I'm, my money's on that, if I'm honest with you, but we'll see. Interesting. I yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't have. So I think any any films that happen sort of narratively between in Infinity Wars are going to have issues. But obviously, Captain Marvel doesn't happen in that time frame. Time frame, yeah. And I don't mm. think this one does either. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I would be fun surprised. trailer. Yeah, it was. Yeah, fun, fun, um, and just a teaser. So we don't really get any any sense of really what the story is about, apart from uh, Scott Lang and uh, Hope Fandine, played by Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly. Uh, Ant Man and the Wasp have to go on the run of some kind. Mm-hmm. Of some kind, they have to go and run for some reason uh, from various factions. We get a little glimpse of Lawrence Fishburne, a little glimpse of Giant Man being even more giant than we've uh, seen him before. Yes, he looked properly massive in this one. Mm. Um, get some looks at the the film's baddie, the Ghost. Uh, but apart from that, no Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne. Only a few bits of Hank Pym. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to have the same function that Ant-Man did uh, way back in 2015. And it's going to act as a bit of a palate cleanser, a bit of an amuse-bouche, if you will, after the madness of Infinity War. Mm. And just go, oh, okay, here's just a little fun caper movie. Take it or leave it. The Mario movie's going ahead. Did you see this? The uh, Mario movie's kind of officially been, you know, it's a thing that's happening. uh, Illumination are doing it. Uh, And Shigeru Miyamoto, who's uh, Mr. Mario in many ways guy behind it he's um he's gonna be overseeing in a producing role so so this is animated it's so an animated so it's not okay. bob hoskins is not return, well he would be problematic if he was yes. uh it's not a return of uh of live action Inst- instantly super mario brothers was the very first video game movie i think and I the knew best that. <laughs> yes and the best never bettered yeah uh yeah start so. as you mean to go on with incoherent nonsense <laughs> It was the credo of the Empire podcast, and by God, it was the credo of video game uh, adaptations. Yeah. Um, so just very, very quickly, uh, Diane Lane and Greg Kinnear have joined the cast of House of Cards Season 6, uh, which of course is Kevin spacey this, and uh, uh, it starts filming, apparently started filming this week. So they had a bit of a, a rejig, a creative rejig, following Spaceygate, and uh, Robin Wright is still very much in it and very much focused on her and they've added Diane Lane and Greg Kinnear to the mix. Are they going to be both playing Frank Underwood? Uh, are they no. going to be standing on each other's shoulders in a massive coat playing Frank Underwood? No. I wonder how they're going to deal with... I think they're going to play entirely different characters who are brother and sister, I believe. Oh, I want them to be playing Frank Underwood, <laughs> standing on each other's shoulders He's done, in a massive Chris. coat, trying to get in to see a movie. <laughs> I mean, either of them is tall enough on their own. I don't understand why they It's be- not about... It's not about height, Helen. It's about convincing the people that you're of age to watch an R-rated film. Greg Kinnear and Diane Lane, you're worried that they might look under look 17. Look at their skin. It's oh, that's luminous. Fair. That's fair. So I just want at least one scene of that, please. Fair enough. 
I mean, not fair enough. It's not going to happen. Hey, there was news this week of um, Cowboy Ninja Viking, the Chris Pratt film, um, which has another director. If you remember, it's already been through, I think, Mark Forster, um, Chad Stahelski and David Leach were uh, on board for a little while. Um, And now it's Michelle McLaren's turn. Um, So, of course, best known for her work on Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones as well. Yes. and fantastic, fantastic director who was briefly attached to Wonder Woman and then yes, didn't get the chance to make that. Right. So this would be um, a good potentially role for her. So this is uh, the idea is that this is about secret counterintelligence agents who have multiple personality disorders. Mm-hmm. So they're um, they're that would explain the cowboy ninja Viking, I guess. And the idea is that Pratt plays one of these uh, Duncan. He is he's an assassin with all these personalities in his head, and he's gone his own way as a hired hired hitman following the collapse of the programme. Very exciting indeed. Uh, Michelle McLaren's also directing an episode at least of uh, Better Call Saul season four, which is good news because her work on Breaking Bad was phenomenal. Phenomenal. And uh, she's due to be making a World War II drama called Nightingale, which ironically I think was um, Wonder Woman's working title or production title. Um, but uh, but that's presumably stepping back to let this one go forward as it has a 2019 release date. Holy hell. Right, that's it. That's the news done and dusted. Time now for this week's guest. Making a return, a welcome return to the Empire podcast. One of the greatest, brightest, most brilliant and consistently inventive and versatile directors on the planet. The man behind Hard Eight and Boogie Nights and Magnolia and The Master and There Will Be Blood and Inherent Vice. And now this week's Phantom Thread it is, of course, Paul W.S. Anderson. No, it's the other one. Uh, it's Paul Thomas Anderson, and he dropped by uh, last week to talk about his latest and, it would seem, last collaboration with Daniel Day-Lewis, who is retiring to watch Countdown and go down to post office in his afternoons off. Very, very sad. Anyway, PTA, talking to John Nugent for your listening pleasure. Enjoy. We're delighted to have Paul Thomas Anderson on the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Very well. Um, first of all, I guess congratulations are in order because this week you had six, was it six nominations for Phantom Thread? Yeah. Uh, how, do, how do you feel about that? Did you do anything to celebrate? Uh, <laughs> I mean, how do you feel about Oscars in general? Are you uh, Fantastic. Yeah. Um, that was an exciting thing to wake up to. Um, I told my kids, I said, we got six Oscar nominations. And my daughter said, can I have a spoon for my cereal? <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, you um, on. But we had some champagne there that night, and it was fun. Yeah. It was really cool. Did you speak? I mean, it's really, it honestly, it's so, you have to act cool and pretend like you don't care. But um, <laughs> inside, it's just like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. yeah, there's no two ways about it. Did you? Did but it's funny because I mean, you, uh, we've done I, th- I think pretty, pretty great stuff before, and it doesn't get it, and you, then you go, oh well, I guess nobody's paying attention, <laughs> or I don't know. <laughs> you have to, you have to celebrate, but you have to, you, you know, as long as you don't make a habit out of um, making it epic then it's yeah 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 i mean it's all quite silly in the end isn't it um yeah but it's fucking great yeah cool Uh, did you speak to uh daniel and leslie and and i haven't seen anybody yet i mean i mean um a couple quick texts but actually i'm going to see everybody later today oh great yeah cool um so let's talk about phantom thread then it is something of a break for you it's the first film you've made out of california i believe 
Um, yeah. Is that is that something, is that out of your comfort zone in a way? Well, sure. Um, but it's funny how quickly, you know, we started shooting here a year ago. 30 seconds into shooting, we were shooting tests over in Fitzroy Square. Hmm. Just like 30 seconds into it, it was all exactly the same. Yeah. It's like there's some lights, there's some guys working the lights, there's the ca- camera. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> so no matter where you go in the world, it's ultimately it's kind of the same exact thing. But yeah. um, I loved working here. Loved. Uh, and that has to do with the people that were on the crew who I'm going to see tonight. We're having a cast and crew screening, which is crazy because the movie's been done since November. And normally you do that back when you finish it. But for all the travel arrangements and da 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 but so I'm gonna see so many familiar faces tonight I cannot I cannot wait to see so many people that I haven't seen since we finished in April oh, we're gonna get really drunk it's gonna be really fun <laughs> <laughs> excellent yeah yeah we pur- purposely didn't have any interviews tomorrow <laughs> okay that's like, good okay you can't have a cast and crew screening on a Friday night in central London and schedule interviews at 9am on Saturday <laughs> Forget it. That's yeah. fucking horseshit. <laughs> it's like, you need to have nothing to do the entire rest of the day. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to all... It's going to be a really fun celebration tonight. Nice. Yeah. So tomorrow is a lion and... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, we haven't known... You know, it's going to be... I mean, yeah. I mean, if our rap, our rap party was any indication of how everybody likes to go, yeah. this one could go deep into the night it could be really good <laughs> awesome so it's the end of quite a long journey really I mean any yeah. film with, with Daniel in particular takes a lot of preparation I would imagine for sure yeah he's he's nothing if not prepared mm. and that is where the majority of the work happens because um, once you start shooting it's really kind of I don't want to say easy but so much of, of it is pre- preparing and talking right. about who this person is and what's going to happen and the possibilities of, of what could happen um, that once you start it really becomes there's no long winded discussions about, about what might what what could happen it's really the small decisions each day mm-hmm. what color socks you're going to wear you know um, what tie wardrobe decisions because all the stuff all the real meaty stuff has been decided already yeah yeah but it's interesting you say it's it's uh, easy because I'm, I'm sure I read somewhere that uh, Daniel it, described the shoot as, as it's not easy that's it, kind of that's probably <laughs> in, in relative terms I mean maybe. I don't know it's easy now yeah. what, you know you look back and I don't how hard could it really be? <laughs> really? It's not down a mine, I suppose. It's not fucking. That's not that fucking hard. But I, but I did uh, hear that it, the, the shoot is quite a challenging one. You're in a very claustrophobic space. You're in a, a real old London townhouse. Um, yeah, yeah. It was. It was like you know. You, I would walk to work a lot of days, and it's beautiful. You get a beautiful morning, and then you get to this front door of this house and look in and go. <gasps> Like holding, yeah. like holding your breath, like you're going underwater. It was, it was very cramped and very claustrophobic, and everybody was on top of each other. And that's, but that's okay. That's how. That was just the the nature of of working in a Georgian townhouse without, yeah. with all the limitations and things that that created. But we asked for it, and you know, I think we got our money's worth. Though it looks really good. Um, you get, you know, I guess the alternative would have been to build it, but that, that didn't sound like fun either. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, then and then you then you I don't know. Then you walk out and you're on a, a back lot somewhere, and no, it's more fun to be in central London and cramped and claustrophobic spaces than yeah. You know, yeah. Did you feel you got uh, different sort of performances than you would if you were on a soundstage? Mm, I don't know. Probably not. I, I probably would have ended up being exactly the same. But I think what you get is a lot of little details that you wouldn't have gotten, like just the way the floorboards creak, yeah. the way that yeah. the, um, the 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 handles on the doorknobs. The way the, the way things sound is probably the biggest thing that you get. Mm. That no, the greatest sound designer in the world couldn't couldn't come up with. You'd be manufacturing stuff, and you'd be off the mark somehow. So, and the other real thing was life outside the windows, which I, on a soundstage you would have to. Normally, people would do a green screen or a backdrop or something like that. But yeah. we actually had Fitzroy Square right outside there, and you know you put a few people in hats and costumes and have them walk around and stuff and just that that is a kind of an extra layer of reality um or pretend reality yeah that that makes it look good (laughs) so reynolds woodcock what is such a good name i'm I'm right in thinking daniel came up with the name yeah i mean where did that come from what what, where where did he pluck that from did you have any rejected names Arthur Dapple was the name. I got to look back at my my notebooks. Um, I'm completely blanking. I, there was a there was. Um, I think the Reynolds part probably comes from Reynolds Stone, who was um, he did fonts um, and wood wood cuts. Funny enough, art oh. um, the font for the films Reynolds Stone font. Right. Um, so I think the Reynolds comes from that. Fucking good name. It's an amazing name. <laughs> it's, it's very English. Yeah. That's amazing that he's come up with such a key part of the film. Is he is he a collaborator at every stage of the, the process? For, yes, absolutely. I mean, you can't... I mean, I don't know. You can't work with Daniel and, 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 ju- and expect him to just sort of turn up and... Yeah. Um, you what you what you want and why everybody wants him is a, a proper collaboration in every respect. This one was different than the last time we did it because you know with with Daniel Plainview you you had or that that film you have everything was very practical. The 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 needs of looking for oil was the only thing that that mattered. So mm. this time everything um, was about personal taste and choice. And the theater that this character is creating in his workplace, right? Yeah. So, thank God for Daniel sort of picking the drapes, picking the wardrobe, everything. He worked so closely with Mark Tildesley, yeah. our production designer, and Mark Bridges, the costume designer, to meticulously comb through every last detail. That's why the film looks so good. I mean, they really, it's, they, I, I honestly don't have the patience that they all had. So I would kind of be involved, pretend that I could. I was not glazing over, but at a certain point, I was like, "God, just tell me when you picked the fabric." I can't. <laughs> I fucking can't. You're not much of a seamstress yourself, then. No, I have a short attention span too. So. Yeah. But I, I did. I read that you had uh, real seamstresses on camera. That's, yeah, that's like- they're all they're um. Well, some of them are actresses. Um, who have a lot of sewing experience and then others were proper seamstresses. Um, Nana and Biddy are two lead head seamstresses right. are, um, worked at the VNA or they're volunteers at the VNA, but, um, um, they had worked for Hardy Amy's back in the day. 
And you can really tell as well. I mean, they totally they right. They look like they know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. and the, their their fingers. You see it in yeah. the shape of their fingers, and um, the way that they hold these. Yeah, you, there's no faking that. Yeah, they're amazing. I haven't seen them since we finished shooting. Um, and I'm seeing them tonight. Hopefully, um, are they going to be the last one standing? Yes. <laughs> um, it's funny. Leslie told me she ran into them uh, like a month after we finished shooting, and they were wondering where the film was. They're like, well, "What's taking so long? <laughs> what? What?" I mean, literally a month after we finished, they yeah. expected it to be finished and in the theaters. <laughs> What's he doing? What's taking him so long? They're working. That's my English accent. Taylor's schedules, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know it's it's sort of sold as a I guess a romantic drama this film but I was surprised perhaps at how how funny it was mm-hmm. I mean would you is it a stretch to call it a comedy would you go so far as to call call it that yeah I would I love I'm, I love that I mean but I'm the wrong person to ask I thought Inherent Vice was a comedy I think a lot of people would disagree with that <laughs> like, mm. but you could you well could you could you get away with calling it a romantic comedy and that people would say like it doesn't really fulfill that in the way like I mean it is romantic and it is has yeah. comedic well, elements well there you go so, so I, it's a romantic comedy I, I think you could say it's a romantic comedy it's historical romantic yeah English <laughs> comedy I mean it's not quite Richard Curtis Hugh Grant I don't know if, if, if people go in expecting that they may be that's what they expect when you say romantic comedy, yeah, probably, exactly. right? So then, then they'd be pissed off and disappointed that it didn't f- fulfill that expectation. But then if you went in looking for some Merchant Ivory action, you'd be disappointed too. I don't know. It's his own beast, I suppose. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've spent the last two weeks with uh, Johnny Greenwood's soundtrack in my ears. Literally every day I've been listening to it. It's, it's been uh, the soundtrack to the last two weeks. That's fucking cool. It's, That's great. It's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. What is it like to, to sort of commission someone like Johnny Greenwood for your own I so, um, personal music? I've, you just made me think of uh, f- I, the best story I, I had recently. It was a friend of mine texted me at 7.30 in the morning on a Saturday in LA and she was st- she was getting her coffee at this place and they were still opening up the shop and the two guys that worked there said, one guy said to the other guy is it too early for the Phantom Thread soundtrack? <laughs> soundtrack? And the other guy said, no, turn it up. <laughs> I, I, that made me so happy to think of that. It's funny. It's because it doesn't. It's it is good walking around music. Oh, it really it? is. Yeah. Honestly, you go to a supermarket and suddenly you're feeling all regal and lavish and just like every, everything. You're just floating. You know, we're doing a live a score. I'm gonna be there. Yeah. Yeah. That's gonna be special. It's gonna be great. Yeah. It's gonna be amazing. Um, yeah. I've never done. We've we've done it for there will be blood but there's sort of a different feeling that was this feels different like yeah this feels fresh yeah like, properly like i don't know something could really go wrong yeah i mean it's it's an old school i i'm interested what your brief was for johnny because it's such a sort of lavish. i just told him like nelson riddle and make it lush and make it romantic <laughs> yeah. you know and um that was the stuff that i kept pushing for was like 
bigger, bigger, more, more romantic, more romantic, yeah. more romantic, which is good because he won't, he won't, he doesn't like to do that. So yeah, it's very unlike anything he's done before. I'd say yeah, um, but that's good. Yeah, it's good. Can't just keep playing the same old sad shit. <laughs> Play the hits. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His instinct is like, why don't we make it smaller and sadder? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Let's try to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Bigger and funnier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's all the time we have, but um, Paul Thomas Anderton, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, so that was Paul Thomas Anderson, and that's start this week's slightly truncated review section uh, with Phantom Thread. Hell's Bells. Yeah, so this is... Uh as you'd expect, pretty stunning. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis plays Reynolds Woodcock. What a name. I know. Um, Any relation to the former Arsenal and Cologne striker Tony Woodcock? I don't think so. Okay. I would be amazed. Uh, he is, in fact, a couturier um, in 1950s London. Who's a, So no relation. <laughs> so no relation, no. Uh, a very, a refined, very controlling man. He has his taste. He likes things done his way. He brooks really no interference or deviation from his norm. Um, he's the kind of the, uh, what we've been calling online, the art monster, the guy who thinks that, you know, his genius justifies any amount of bad behaviour and everyone around him essentially goes along with that I don't recognise this, this personality type. No, it would be completely alien to you, Chris, no. Um, with Helen. <laughs> um, and chief among those sort of enabling him is his sister, Cyril, who's played by Leslie Manville, who is extraordinarily great in this, even mm-hmm. by her standards. Um and then he, after having gotten rid of his latest girlfriend uh, for some minor offence, um, he meets uh, Alma, who's played by Vicky Kreps, um, mm-hmm. in, a, in a cafe, in a little sort of seaside hotel, um, adopts her, takes her back as his latest muse, and she starts slightly uh, thro- throwing into confusion mm-hmm. his ordered life. And mm-hmm. it sort of evolves into a strange power struggle between them, it's a power struggle slash love story. Yeah, because it's interesting. Whenever uh, there was this movie was shrouded in mystery for mm-hmm. the longest time, and people were going, "Oh, what is it?" Especially when uh, it, it emerged that it was going to be Daniel Day Lewis's last movie, and people were going, "Oh my god, what happened on that film to make him retire? Was it, was it so draining? Was it so strenuous?" And at one point, one of the um, one of the rumors that emerged about the film I likened it to an art house version of Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, with with but with like explicit BDSM going on. <laughs> but it's entirely emotional BDSM, if, yeah. that's, if that's a, a thing that we should... I don't know if that's the right phrase, but it, yes. it is, though. It is a absolutely emotional, emotionally damaging um, sexual politics, basically, between the two of them. Sold! <laughs> and it's, But it is fascinating to watch because obviously he's great. You expect nothing less from Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. Um, but Kreps is astonishing as well. She absolutely mm. holds her, her own. I mean, she didn't really know apparently what she was auditioning for. She almost thought it was like a student film or something and then she turns up and gets told, no, it's it's opposite Daniel Day-Lewis and, mm. and somehow doesn't just faint and give up but absolutely <laughs> rises to meet him and, and it's... Unbelievable. Her metamorphosis as a character as well, the evolution of the character is just beautifully, beautifully done by um, by um, Paul Thomas Anderson's mm-hmm, script. Mm-hmm. And of course it looks glorious and of course the costumes are just to die for. But it is twisted and it is yeah. black comedy and I think that's why the sort of 
art house Fifty Shades of Grey thing have, yeah. have kind of come from that twisted, kinky kind of yeah. sense. It's a more controlled PTA of the master. And even though Inherent Vice is this ramshackle movie that I <laughs> don't really like that much, Aww. there's still a sense of, there's more of a sense of directorial control in, in those movies, and there will be blood, certainly, mm. than there is perhaps in his more rambunctious young whippersnapper phase when he's doing a kind of Marty Scorsese impression in Boogie Nights or Magnolia. Yeah. Uh, so this is very much in, in the vein of, of, of that. Yeah, control is yeah. definitely the watchword here, um, both from a directorial point of view and from a, and from a character point of view. We give this four stars. Four stars. I, I personally am very you much at the like high end the, of that spectrum. Yeah, you sound mm. like you're definitely in the low two, maybe. <laughs> oh, the five. You're in the five. Yeah. You're in the arena of five stars. Uh, Phantom Thread, any PTA DDL collab is, it should be PTA feet FT dot DDL. That's what it should be. That's what it should right. be. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Because it's like young and hip in the Grammys, isn't it? No, okay. Anyway, four stars for Phantom Thread. And uh, next up is Journey's End, uh, which is uh, another knockabout comedy. Yeah, no, this, 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 this one, one is this a... This one's a real belly laugher. Yeah. yeah. This is a, this, we, we saw this in a, in a screen room in a, in a very cold and wet afternoon, Jimbo, and we emerged blinking into the sunlight. Shell-shocked and traumatised. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's an extremely powerful film. It's based on the 1928... Uh, play by uh, R.C. Sheriff, the playwright. Uh, obviously, this interestingly, it was written just 10 years after the First World War ended. And obviously, he, this playwright, was a veteran. A lot of people in the audience would have been veterans. So it's a story that was written for an audience who had essentially lived through this experience. And you've got to wonder how that would have gone down. It's incredibly hard to watch even now. So mm. uh, it's, a, it's a really sort of small, it's just set in the, in the trenches, sort of it takes place uh, towards the very end of, of the First World War. Um, and the general sort of setup is Asa Butterfield stars as Raleigh. He's a sort of very green as grass uh, soldier who's kind of signed up uh, and he's uh, asked to be assigned to a company led by Captain Stanhope, which is Sam Claflin, uh, who's kind of a school friend of his in that he's uh, a friend of his sister's, essentially. Um, and he's very excited to be joining the fight, and he's all sort of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and he's put in a trench on the front line, essentially waiting for a big German assault. And uh, Claflin, when he meets him, is not the man he knew. He's completely been destroyed by his experiences in the war. I mean, his men are fiercely loyal to him, but he's absolutely broken inside. He's basically become an alcoholic. Uh, And the whole film is essentially them waiting for this big push, which will essentially come and it will, you know, not end well for anyone concerned. Um, The revelation for this film, more than anything else, is twofold. I think mainly it's Sam Claflin who... You know, I have nothing against Sam Claflin, never have done, but he's not... I've never thought of him as a heavyweight actor. Uh, you know, he's normally quite a buoyant, uplifting, kind of bit of a nothing. Uh, in this, he's incredible. Mm. Uh, played very much against type. He's really sort of tortured, traumatised. There's a bit when he has to send some men over the top on a raid that's, frankly, quite unnecessary, uh, but he's told to do it by the brass, so he does it. And when he sends his men essentially to their deaths, they're just the just the expressions kind of going through his eyes and his face. He doesn't say a word, but he's absolutely destroyed by this. Uh, and I think he plays it phenomenally. He's also really, really well served by uh, Bet- Paul Bettany, uh, who plays his sergeant, uh, Sergeant Osborne. Um, the two of them together, I think, are the stands out. Asa Butterfield, very, very good. Mm. But those two, I mean, they absolutely leave him in the dust. Uh, this is directed by Saul Dibb, 
who did uh, yeah. The Duchess with Keira Knightley and Sweet Francaise. Uh, really, really good. I imagine it's incredibly mm. powerful on stage as well. Uh, mm. I would definitely urge people to catch this, if only to be converted to the cult of Claflin. Clavers. Uh, and, you know... Oh, I Sam knew. Claflin. Yes. The Ballad of Sam Claflin, it wouldn't be complete without it. No. Uh, I need to get more lyrics for that. Um, <laughs> I, almost, yeah. I, I would like to hear Phil DeSamlin's take on this because he is an aficionado of World War One. He is, and, isn't he? You know, was probably there in a past life. It's very interesting, isn't it? There's slight overlap with Blackadder Goes Forth in this to the yes. point where I was thinking, was this a huge influence mm. on Richard Curtis and Ben Elton? Absolutely. I, I, I'd be fascinated to know, but I'd be astonished if it wasn't because there are moments where Toby Jones as the cook comes out you know, saying what he's made their meals out of. And you do have visions of Baldrick saying, it's dandruff, sir, yeah. ah, and saliva. Cappuccino, you yeah, know. Well, yes, oh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and, there, and this is a difficulty. Like, when played to World War One veterans, this would have been, you know, an incredibly moving thing. Whereas when we see it, it feels a little bit in places like it is a riff on, on Blackadder. Yeah. Because that's the, our point of reference for trench warfare. Yeah, precisely. It's, um, a, it's a John Carter syndrome. Is you know, well, we created all these tropes, but by the time we get here... Yeah. Everyone's ripped us off, so people think that we're we're just a bit of a, a derivative nonsense. Yeah, but uh, it is it is. I do I do very much recommend this one. We gave it four four stars. Four stars. Yeah, cracking double bill if you fancy that. Uh, also out this week is Denzel Washington in his Academy Award nominated performance as Roman J. Israel, uh, which is a new, the new film from Dan Gilroy, the writer director of Nightcrawler. It's a film I cannot wait to see, but I have not yet seen it. Helen, yeah, I likewise, don't believe you I'm have no. either. Um, and I'm really excited by this because uh, it looks like Denzel is on cracking form. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Jerry Butler action movie Den of Thieves, which um, I don't believe screened for press, did it? I, I, I certainly missed it if it did, Chris. Okay. By the time people listen to this, there may be a review up on the website because I've got someone seeing it today. Uh, anyway, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun, the last proper pod before our live show. Ah. Uh, episode 299. I hope it's 299, otherwise we've got this really wrong. We might need to reschedule the live podcast. Uh, and our guests will be, all being well, Colin Firth and Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Are we you going to sing that to her? Is there not a Colin Firth song? There should be. Should there should be a Colin Firth song. But Rachel Weiss and Edelweiss just sound so right together. Yeah. So we're still working on Colin Firth. Yeah. We there was there was a period. This is we're going back about fifteen odd years, aren't we? Where we did a number of songs. Not that far. Not it's that, not, not that far, far off. Back. It was two thousand and four. No way. It was two thousand and four. No. Not good, kidding. Good King Wesley Snipes. Yeah, good King Wesley Snipes. Good King Wesley Snipes looked out on the feast of Stephen Dorf. There we go. <laughs> Um, oh, Danny Boyle was another one. Oh, Danny Boyle. But do, we have, do we have any lyrics beyond that? The pipes so. are calling. Um, what else was there? Um, oh, there was Sam something Clapton. with Eric Banner, wasn't there? Sweet, 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 sweet Home, home Eric, Eric Banner. Banner. Sweet, sweet Home, home Eric Banner. Banner. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> we really are award winning. We used to have a lot more time on our hands and a lot more fun, maybe. <laughs> oh, well. Good times. Hey, isn't it? Mm. Nostalgia. Yeah. Brilliant. It's not what it used to be. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so there we go. Colin Firth, Rachel Feist in the house next week. Uh, these two idiots might be back as well. Uh, until that auspicious occasion, it is a farewell from Helen. Toodaloo. Farewell from Jimbo. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. It's my ambition to play that role. You'd be great. I, honestly, 
Uh, you know, I, this is not false modesty. I would be fucking brilliant in that part. Yeah, that really isn't false I would, modesty. I would knock it out of the park. And you know what? As well. What's that? <laughs> it's only nine minutes a night. So I could do that. This is King George III in Hamilton. He comes on he's, he comes on stage three times, sings the same song three times, but with different lyrics. Doesn't have to do any other acting with anyone else. Just gets to do his own little song, wears a crown, and then buggers off. Yeah. James is just staring at Chris now. Anywho. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. 